0: We're all aware of that mathematical equation and that mathematical rule. Minus minus equals to plus. In the case of Fernando Alonso, it's been nearly 10 years of minuses, suddenly resulting into one giant fat plus. So big a plus, in fact, that at our event last night, where we hosted a big session at the Gigmix Supercar Club screening in Thane, Mumbai, we had people doing shoeies to celebrate Fernando Alonso coming third. This is real. It is happening. Fernando Alonso has genuinely made a good career choice. And yeah, Red Bull Racing and Max Verstappen might have gotten a 1-2. But that keeps on happening. What's important is that our hero, our saviour is back. And Formula 1 finally has a supervillain once again. But it's so amazing to see Fernando Alonso happy. And that makes everyone here at the Inside Line F1 podcast happy. So let's introduce everyone, of course, on the show right here. Firstly, I'll start off with myself. My name is Somal Arora. I'm the host of the Driving Force and also the Indian Racing League broadcasts on Star Sports and joining me is firstly Sundaram F1 stats guru as you know him on social media his stats has been have been read out by Crofty on the Sky Sports broadcast and retweeted by the best driver of yesterday Fernando Alonso and of course we have Kunal Shah the former marketing head of the Aston Martin, Aramco, Cognizant, Formula 1 team and it's old guys when it was Force India and of course he's now an FIA accredited journalist for the Play Network and it's just happy days Kunal. It's it's just amazing to see Fernando Alonso happy. It's it's like the world can't handle it. There's just too much positivity and he's dumped all that positivity for negativity on Alpine and Esteban Hocon who had so many penalties. <laughs>
1: It's, I think it's more than just happy days. These are ecstatic days because all along we used to wonder what would happen if Fernando Alonso has a competitive car, when Stappen has a competitive car, of course, when Lewis Hamilton has a competitive car and so on. And he now has a competitive car and we actually saw what he could do on track we we of course up until now were seeing what he was doing in the media sessions and playing it down playing it up and so on but we finally saw what he could do on track and my feeling my prediction is that 2023 doesn't matter who's going to be the world champion whether it's a lewis hamilton or a charles leclerc or even a max verstappen or maybe even fernando alonso who knows the most popular driver is going to be, hands down, Mr. Fernando Alonso. I mean, the way he was driving on track yesterday, he was literally owning every piece of tarmac. He had his Aston Martin car on. He was owning every rival. And, you know, some some things that stood out for me the most was that the Aston Martin car was actually slower on the straights, which is why they couldn't pull off all the moves in the DRS zones. So he technically had to work harder, into making those overtakes and, you know, putting those overtakes off at turns 9 and 10, predominantly on Hamilton and then Carlos Sainz because, hey, that's where he had more grip and hence more pace. So, all in all, fantastic start for Formula One. Not the most exciting of races, if you were to put it that way, given that Red Bull cruised on, you know, to victory on a Sunday drive. But we had a fourth team challenging team number two and team number three from last year. But most importantly Lando Norris six pit stops in the race what was McLaren doing also Lando Norris he is 17th in the driver's championship 17th and last right something I don't think I would have imagined and hence that also means that McLaren is dead last in the constructors championship so yes there was Alpine and Ocon adding to all the you know, all the humor or all the shock value on TV saying, oh my God, how can they not get serving a time penalty correctly, right? But they were exposed publicly. But I don't think McLaren and Lando Norris were exposed so publicly for doing what they couldn't do, which is to deliver a good race, I would say.
0: Sundaram, every one of Alonso's old teams had a bad day. Ferrari had an engine problem. Alpine were absolutely crushed with Ocon. And look at McLaren. It, it, it's just the International Fernando Day. It's just meant to be. <laughs>
2: that's a nice that's a nice one there. Um you know it's actually one of if you remember one of those movies where actually the villain uh is actually considered the hero just because his performance is that good or that convincing that you kind of don't really care so much about, or the, about the main hero. And and yesterday's race was pretty much that sort of race. I mean, the, the first movie that I can actually think of is The Dark Knight, where Joker's performance was was so convincing that you, could, you can probably uh, argue and say that he was the star of the movie. And that is pretty, exactly the case that happened yesterday. The anti-hero actually went on to become the hero. And, and like Kunal mentioned it, Probably wasn't the most exciting of races. We had 22 overtakes, um, out of which Alonso pulled three. Um, but yeah, he, I think he actually did make the race. Otherwise, if, if not for that, we wouldn't really be having, uh, I mean, I mean, we were not having a great race anyway. There's very little to talk about it. But yeah, he he was the top of the town yesterday.
0: Actually, that brings us on to a very interesting question that we should all discuss for a little bit. It's... It's about Fernando Alonso's chances on the podium if Ferrari wouldn't have had that engine failure with Charles Leclerc. Because we know that Carlos Sainz was struggling with degradation very badly, to a point where he didn't even bother to fight. But also, with Leclerc, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, Kunal, that he had a decent bit of pace and eventually, had he not had that problem of his car or with his car, Alonso wouldn't have been there. So, it's not completely happy days because they know they need to get some work done in terms of qualifying as well. And The interesting part is it could only just get better.
1: I actually beg to differ. I think if, uh, okay, let let me put it this way. If Leclerc hadn't had his power unit failure, right, we would have enjoyed an Alonso versus Leclerc battle. I mean, Fernando Alonso taking the fight to a Ferrari and a Charles Leclerc, he did that to Carlos Sainz. So technically, I think it would have still been an Alonso podium it would have also meant one more overtake. So Sundaram would have then said we would have had four overtakes for the podium position. And to me, I mean, let's let's turn this around. You know, it's like a mix of everything. Fernando Alonso actually had a bad start. And that's what gave us a good race, right? But what the bad start robbed us of was Aston Martin and Fernando Alonso's genuine pace against the Red Bull racing cars. So he was 30-odd. 30 plus seconds off had he run a normal race which would have been even more boring if I could turn term yesterday's race a little boring uh you know he would have probably been would he have been closer to the to the Red Bull cars god knows you know but clearly nobody would have taken the win and the one-two away from Red Bull I think their advantage was just so much more right but to see Aston Martin walk away with a podium, second fastest car, Fernando Alonso in the championship, top three, all of those you know, feel-good stories was, was pretty, pretty fantastic. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised after seeing what we saw in Bahrain if people were to ask, oh my God, is Red Bull going to win everything in 23 and will Verstappen be the champion? Now, the truth is there are two things to consider. First, which pretty much every driver on the grid and every team has said, that Bahrain is an outlier, the rear limiting is one of the reasons why, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of stands out, which is why pecking order in Bahrain doesn't mean it could be the same pecking order for the next 22 races, right? So that's one part. The second part, of course, is the in-season development. I mean, it just to qualifying for Toto Wolf to say, we need to scrap this concept, right? Uh, we also saw that Leclerc gave up on a qualifying attempt, uh, so that he could save an extra set on race day, which sort of worked for him because he jumped Paris, right? But we always kept asking through all our previews, and it not just us, pretty much everyone. What was the question? How much uh, lighter on fuel is Aston Martin? Right? Is their pace genuinely? as fast as it was in testing. The truth is now it's it's shown up that Aston Martin was genuinely quick. Now the question is going to be turned. Can Aston Martin keep developing their car as fast as Red Bull and Mercedes would? And do they have the depth and the resources and the bandwidth to do that? I think it's too early, but maybe we should stop asking that question as well. And maybe at some point just accept it's going to be four top teams in 2023 and not just three top teams in 2023. So that's just where where I am. And let's see how it goes. Wait, which is the fourth one? I, I didn't get it. I was waiting to be challenged. Yeah, so we, of course, have Red Bull. <laughs> we've got Aston Martin. Then we've got Ferrari or Mercedes and Mercedes, depending on how you see it. But the first race of the season actually proved a few things. You know, Toto Wolf saying Mercedes's concept is wrong and needs to be scrapped. Ferrari, of course, had their reliability issues. So two teams have literally been pulled out. That just then leaves Aston Martin. So let's really hope that they're able to keep up with the pace of development to keep delivering a fantastic season for us.
2: I have an interesting question to put forward considering Toto Wolf And I think George Russell also mentioned that the team has to change their car concept Just take a look at the other three teams, Red Bull, Ferrari and Aston Martin. They've gone ahead with a certain car concept. They've done testing. They've done one race with it. Now, if Mercedes actually changes their concept for the rest of the season, do they have enough data about it already? Because they've not used all those parts in pre-season testing. So can they actually be considered as a front runner or a top four team?
1: I would say, you know, when it comes to in-season development, a lot of Mercedes's plans would have already been made because even before the first race of the season, people were waiting for when is the next big upgrade coming. And everyone also talks of the budget cap. But let's remember, under the budget cap, Aston Martin actually made a concept change last year and hence concept change this year as well. So Mercedes knows that they have to figure a way to make it work. Otherwise, they will be fourth or even fifth if things really go off, uh, you know, in, in in 2023. But another caveat, these 2023 cars have only been driven on the Bahrain circuit, the Sakher International circuit. So that's another thing to keep in mind that teams don't yet know how their cars and their packages will stack up at some of the other circuits. And pretty much every other circuit has its own challenges like Fernando Alonso said that if they are quick in Jeddah and then they are quick in Melbourne, then they, then he will say we're going to have a good 2023. So up until now, 100% utilization, pretty much, if you keep the filming days aside. And filming days are on different sets of tires and so on, right? So 100% of the true accurate data collection has happened in Bahrain. And to answer your question, Sundaram, if Mercedes was to bring a new upgrade to Imola, like everybody's saying, or you know, some other race like Silverstone through the season. They just have to back themselves uh, to believe that then the efficiency that they have as a culture in the team is going to sort of front, uh, come to the fore and help them make that change because their constraints are pretty much the same as every other team's constraint. So if they want to move forward, they have to figure a way to make it work within the existing regulations and the time that's afforded to them.
2: You know, on that that very same point, then is this a possibility that Mercedes also follows a similar concept to what Red Bull is actually, uh, has actually used? Um, because you can see that the top three teams have gone with very different car concepts. And I don't know what hurts Mercedes more. The fact that Red Bull are so quick or the fact that one of their customer teams is actually faster than them. So I don't know what hurts them more. So if that is the case, if a team like, and, and Christian Horner and even Sergio Perez did mention this, that um it's nice that we have three Red Bulls on on the podium, so they do kind of agree. They do kind of they're making a statement saying that the Aston Martin is pretty much of a copy of the Red Bull. So is Mercedes actually going to go that route as well?
1: You know, it's a good question because uh, one of the things is if Mercedes has to beat Red Bull, they need a concept that is able to beat Red Bull. Now, can that come with the same concept? I don't know. I'm not the tech expert. Maybe we should get Craig Scarborough on the show again to ask what exactly Red Bull needs to do. But coming to what you said about what sort of hits or what pains Mercedes more, is it the fact that Red Bull is so quick and they're not? Or is it the fact that a custom customer Mercedes team in Aston Martin is quick? I'm going to add a third element to that. They actually had one of their cars beaten by Lance Stroll as well. And- Lance Stroll, I mean, I'm not taking anything or I'm not adding anything to the talent or what he can do. I have always taken it away. So maybe it's, you know, the season is going to be about him proving me wrong of all the people. Com- I'm completely irrelevant in his life, but yes. Uh, but, you know, the, the the fact is the Strolls have hired a two-time world champion, a podium finisher, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but also one of the best PR voices to help amplify Lance's position in the sport. I mean, the race ended. Fernando thanked the team. Next radio message was to say, but guys, Lance is my hero. So this is great publicity and PR for Lance Stroll as well.
0: It feels wrong. Uh, uh, Not Lance Stroll doing well. That doesn't feel wrong. I think we should give out a serious word to what he's done, driving with a broken hand and just having such great pace. I think that's when you know the Aston Martin really is a good car. But Lance Stroll, okay, he's good. But with a broken hand, he can do so much. But this Fernando optimism just confuses me. It's like you know the bubble is going to burst at some point. It's all just coming together. It feels unreal in a way, isn't it, Sundar? That Lance Stroll is his hero. And he values Lance Stroll's feedback so much. And he's a world championship material driver. But when
2: will the fake quotes end?
0: It it's surely is too good to be true, right?
2: And if I was in Fernando Alonso's place or if anyone else for that matter was in his place and he's getting paid the money that he is and if he has a fast car I will literally say anything that the boss wants me to say even if that means praising Lance Stroll. But but the interesting fact is something i actually done something i've actually done something for the very first time yesterday which is actually cheer on lance Troll when when he was um, battling with uh, george russell because that's something that i've never done and when i did it that felt really wrong and probably that's not going to be the first time this year that i do that um but but yes i think Alonso uh, <laughs> going on and saying that he, uh, lance is his hero I think one thing is commendable, the fact that he was probably supposed to return only in Australia and he's actually done a race in the first in the season opener. It, it is a very commendable feat that despite having broken wrists, he's actually gone through a full race distance and finished P6. The other the other thing which was probably running in his in his mind is the fact that we actually have a good car and I don't want to miss out on three races and drop further down in the standings. If I have a fast car, I want to drive it.
0: Well, Leclerc also seemingly had a fast car. He couldn't drive it a lot. It's amazing how the problems are back again. I think the moment that happened, Kunal, I was just thinking the more things change, the more they stay the same. But what's interesting to me is what Fred Vassar has said in the media once that DNF actually happened. Because I expected him to say, oh no, this is not ideal. This is not Ferrari. We'll come out there and fix it. But he's just basically said, wait and watch. It's a philosophy that changes. Not just the overall parts of the car. It's a minor problem that hampered us today. But what I'm here for is not these tiny things. Hmm, good body language. I, I, I like Fred Vassar in that regard. But it quite clearly still is a car that was developed in the Benotto era, right? So, I, I think the good times are yet to come. But... I, I wonder how many times they've all said that in the good times have never arrived. So I, I don't even know what to think about it
1: at this moment. They, they, they need Vijay Malia to lead the team. That's when the good times arrive. He's the emperor of oh. good times for all you Kingfisher <laughs> drinkers, right? But uh, no, I mean, on a more, more serious note, Ferrari, everything has changed or lots of things have changed, but still sort of seemingly the same you know, Charles's car fell apart on the opening lap in Q1, which was a bit of a surprise and not one but two parts flew off. Then, you know, they held back for one extra set of new tires, softs for the race, which helped because like I said before, Leclerc could jump Perez at the start. But let's also put it this way. You know, to do that, Ferrari did not permit Leclerc to go for a pole lap in Q3. So technically, they robbed us of a pole fight, at least something that we saw a lot of last year. So if Ferrari are not going to come to the battle on Sunday, and hence also not going to land up in the battle on a Saturday, I really hope there's somebody out there who will end up challenging the Red Bull racing drivers, right? But it was another thing. I mean, apart from you know Leclerc's engine giving up, Carlos Sainz actually said, The car is still bouncing too much, something you would expect the Mercedes drivers to otherwise say, not because it's a Mercedes, not because uh, of any other reason, but Mercedes sort of faced issues with purposing more than everybody else. So I can just hope that Ferrari actually have something in the back to pull things out, because there was this whole talk of they have a Sunday car and not only a Saturday car and so on. But the truth is Red Bull has built an everyday car. I mean, I would love to drive that Red Bull to work if I could. And, you know, it's one of those uh, cars you can drive on the road, on the track, and it'll still be the most efficient and most uh, consistent and and so on. Right. But uh, adding one more question, which has, you know, been uh, asked very consistently, is how aggressive could Red Bull go on strategy? And the truth is Red Bull were so aggressive that they were the only team or the only two drivers in the top 10 Verstappen and Perez who ran two stints on the soft just how good their tire degradation was in Bahrain is is very high on tire degradation as as we know so imagine that they could run two stints on the soft despite not having one uh new soft for one of the stints like you know check uh like Charles Leclerc did. And of course, since they were not being pushed, I'm pretty sure they were using all the less aggressive engine modes and the drivers were not pushing and keeping away from the curbs and so on. So we still don't know the true pace that Red Bull could have pushed themselves to, right? So some of the things that we will still learn in Jeddah and Australia about the Red Bull specifically as well. But I will also move on to some of the other key learnings we saw in bahrain that nico halkenberg's come back qualifying he's often said that he loves the one lap pace it's him and the car on the limit he made that work but a little sloppy in the race you know when he when he went and hit someone took a you know took a piece of his front nose off and Compromised a lot of performance, so the Haas is clearly one of the three teams that did not score. I would say Logan Sargent impressed. I mean, he matched Lando Norris in qualifying, finished P12 on debut. Williams, for once, aren't the slowest. The midfield is extremely tight, and the best midfield story for me, apart from Aston Martin, who we've now sort of sort of classified as as one of the top four teams, was when Alfa Romeo got Valtteri Bottas into the points on merit by just pitting earlier and sort of overcutting the rest and I remember when he suddenly came up on the screens I almost assumed yeah he's not made a stop only to realize that oh my god he actually stopped four laps ago so that was one of those stories. Alpine uh, Pierre Gasly, I think for the second time in his career going from P20 into the points he drove a phenomenal race to do that and clearly the last team that I'd don't think we have much to talk about is mclaren i mean god knows what happened i mean oscar piastri needing a steering wheel switch after which he couldn't restart the car lando norris six pit stops the only driver to use all three tire compounds in the race i think we will know more in jeddah what was happening but clearly a weekend to write off for mclaren as well
0: i I don't even know what to say about that weekend at the whole day but It kind of is good that Oscar Piastri gets to be away. But it's funny. I I don't know what will be happening in the Alpine garage at this moment in time. Because if you watch Right to Survive, you know how much they hate Oscar Piastri now. That they've been absolutely slandering that little kid left, right and center in that series. And now, just to watch him. And it's funny, right? Because in one point of view, you can say, oh, well, it's amazing that his team have been absolutely dead last. No pace at all steering wheel change and we saw that car reboot up like a Windows PC in the middle as well and then again on their part as well they absolutely had the most chaotic race ever Sundaram how do you get how do you get a penalty for not serving a penalty correctly that and then get another penalty on top of that it's it's as many penalties as we saw between the Argentina and the uh, France final match essentially it's just
2: so chaotic that just isn't how it works but again it's Alpine right so it's sort of expected you know, on Alpine's fortunes yesterday, especially Esteban Ocon's, I'm I'm actually disappointed. I didn't hear a particular uh, radio message from Alonso asking the team, "Where is Ocon?" And the team goes back and says, "Oh, he's had three penalties and he's now retired." And then Alonso goes, "Karma." <laughs> that is the one thing that was actually missing from yesterday's race. But. It, it, it's very odd that they've had three penalties, if, if I'm not wrong. How many, I don't know how many seconds has actually uh, added up to 20 seconds. But not the best way for, for, for them to start the season. And actually, one of our predictions was the fact that Ocon and Piastri would probably be the most disappointing drivers in in Bahrain. And it turned out to be that way. So, um, yeah, Nalpien and McLaren are not particularly looking great so far. But um, let's see if they can actually turn things around in the next few races.
1: I think Alpine will turn things around in the next race because Gasly showed that they had the pace to come back. I mean, P20 to P9 on strategy on driving on overtakes on pit stops. He got it right. It's just that one of those races where you just start off on the back foot and then the recovery is needing recovery needed is just so high, right? And uh, about Ocon, it's so unfortunate. You know, the pit lane speed limiter, he was over by 0.1 kilometers per hour. So 80 was the limit. His reading was 80.1, right? And then when he was serving the five-second penalty, one of the Alpi mechanics touched the car when it, the clock read 4.6 seconds, Right, so it was 0.4 seconds too soon. And then yes, uh, Ocon is you know gone and said that I've been doing this for all these years and never got a penalty. Spe- I think it was specific to his grid position. But when you zoom in and when you actually see his right front was a little out of the expected line, so it's good to just write off one race right at the start of the season, <laughs> and he's going to literally start a season in Jeddah. I would say.
0: Indeed, yes. But thankfully, Williams has started off the season a little earlier as well. But I love that the most disappointed person in Bahrain is probably not going to be... Okay, no, not the most disappointed person in Bahrain. I think the most disappointed person in the F1 community is not going to be Toto Wolf, because he knew that they are going to be that far away from Red Bull Racing. It's probably going to be Nicholas Latifi Sundaram. Because if Logan Sargent can get to P12 and Alex Albon can get a point... Surely Latifi could have been at least
2: P14, right? I don't think. I don't think it's so. He's going car. to be. I don't think so. He's going to be very disappointed because one of the stats, one of the stats, I was actually looking up. Is um, Logan Sargent finishing twelfth? Is that the best start for? I mean, when who was the last rookie, Williams rookie, to to do better? It was actually Nicholas Latifi. In his debut race, he actually finished eleventh. So, he still has one up uh, on Logan Sargent. Um, but yeah, generally pace-wise, I, I think he's, go, he's going to be pretty disappointed that he's not in that Williams car. Probably just like Sebastian Vettel, who also might be thinking, ah, I think I might have retired a little too early.
0: Indeed, yeah. But it's amazing that Alex Albon was able to pull out that cure of a race, even when conditions weren't quite favouring them. So, it's good to see mm-hmm. the likes of Williams also get in there and... Also, the fact that we have other teams like Alpine genuinely showing a touch of pace and Alfa Romeo clearly, clearly being an ace above the rest in terms of strategy. But in terms of final notes to add for the race, Sundaram, just what have you got in mind? Just how do you look at the Bahrain GP?
2: Um, A good start to the season, I would say. I think it's been a good start to the season. Um, And the one thing that really interested me the most was, was the podium, actually. Because we've had three drivers... One of them in their 20s, one of them in the 30s, and one of them in the 40s, uh, which is pretty unique, I would say. But also the last time we actually had that was in Qatar 2021. Alonso was still in his 40s, Hamilton was in his 30s, and Verstappen uh, was in his 20s. And this is something that you don't tend to see a lot. It, it probably last happened in the 1990s or 80s before that.
0: Yeah, wait for the next decade, and Alonso will make that 30, 40 and fifty as well. <laughs> but it's amazing to see what's happening with Aston Martin, and more of that will be coming for the Jeddah GP as well. So, thank you so much for listening to our review for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. And we will be back rather soon with the Saudi Arabia GP preview and a couple of really special episodes. Okay.